Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast, presented by SeatGeek. You'll hear from players, coaches, broadcasters, and writers that cover the NFL on a daily basis. The New Orleans Saints podcast starts right now. Here's your host, Aaron Summers. Welcome into the New Orleans Saints podcast. I'm Aaron Summers. The Saints are back at practice today as they prepare for the Cincinnati Bengals. That game is at noon on CBS Sunday. And coming up, I'll be joined by CBS broadcaster Greg Gumbel, talking the matchup and a lot more. Tight end slash quarterback slash specialist Taysom Hill won NFC Offensive Player of the Week honors today after his performance in the win over the Seahawks on Sunday. Hill had 112 yards on nine carries, three rushing touchdowns, a 22-yard touchdown pass, a fumble recovery, and 69 return yards. So, yeah, I think he was definitely worthy of that award. Head coach Dennis Allen said Monday the team saw an opportunity against the Seahawks where Hill could be successful, and it worked probably better than expected. Allen also said they would like to get Hill involved in the passing game a little bit more going forward. I'm sure how Hill is used the rest of the season will vary, especially if receivers Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry are back in the mix this weekend. Speaking of, the first injury report of the week does come out later this afternoon. That's Wednesday. They'll be out every afternoon, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday around 3 o'clock with the final list of inactives coming out about an hour and a half before kick on Sunday. There were also some jokes made Monday about the Bengals and former LSU stars Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase making their return to the Dome this weekend. Coach Allen said he hoped the Saints fans would still pull for the hometown team rather than the hometown guys. Burrow and Chase last played in the Superdome on January 13, 2020, when they helped LSU to a 42-25 win over Clemson in the national title game. Chase also played at the Dome in high school during the state championship game between between Archbishop and Rummel. Chase went to high school at Archbishop just 10 minutes from the Saints practice facility in Metairie. Don't forget the Saints have some LSU flair on their side as well, though. So let's stick with the hometown team Sunday. Both the Bengals and the Saints are hoping to get a win and improve to 500 on the season. All right, let's bring in CBS broadcaster Greg Gumbel. Greg, thank you so much for joining me on the New Orleans Saints podcast. Appreciate having you. Looking forward to listening to you on the call this weekend for our game against the Bengals. How are you doing this week? I'm doing okay. Um, you, have to rec- you have to remember, I live in Florida, so uh, we are still breathing a sigh of relief on this side of the state from the hurricane that went through the week before. Um, and and that's, you know, that's, that's one of the things about living in Florida. Everything is all apples and pancakes and cupcakes and everything else until you know there's a until there's a tropical storm brewing off the coast of Africa and it makes its way through the Caribbean towards us and then we have to kind of keep one eye open for it but it's all right people around here definitely understand the impact that storms can have the tropical storms hurricanes so definitely feeling for everyone in Florida I'm glad to hear that you're doing okay and that you've made it through thank you yeah well, as I said, we have this upcoming game against the Bengals. There are a lot of storylines coming into this one with the return of some of these LSU stars, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. That The last time they were here in New Orleans playing in the Superdome was when they won the national title. Big deal. Yeah. How much of an effect can that have on a player or even a fan base like this? Well, I don't know about the fan base because, you know, they will have their uh, their divided opinions, you know, on the one hand, they're LSU brethren. On the other, they're the enemy walking into the building. 
as far as the players themselves, whatever feelings that I think players may have going out onto the field, into the stadium, uh, crowd reaction, whatever it is, that goes out the window the first time you get hit. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there's nothing more important than, oh, well, you know, now it's back to reality. So I don't know that that'll make a difference. Um, you know, I think that especially for sports talk radio people, it tends to be fodder for conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I don't think that it makes a whole heck of a lot of difference to the players themselves. It's not only the fact that Chase played here when he was in college, but he's from here. He grew mm-hmm. up 10 minutes from the Saints facility, played at Archbishop. For him, it's going to be much more of a homecoming. I'm sure that the reception is going to be great. He's going to have a lot of family and friends here. Do you think that the feelings will still be the same for him, that he might enjoy that moment, but then it's just going to be football? Well, I think it's going to be football no matter what at the end of the day. But 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 sure, I mean, I think it's probably – a good feeling. Look, he's <laughs> he has to have a really bad day for Jamar Chase to have a bad day. Mm-hmm. So he is going to be able to perform in front of his family and enjoy that as much as anybody possibly could. Now that said, uh, you know he'll have some people cheering for him in the stands. They'll probably be wearing his jersey. Um, but but again, I think that if 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 you're a professional at all, you you put all that aside and concentrate on your job and his job is to go out and play good football and then help his team win. There are a couple of players that have played for either side. Andy Dalton here with the saints nine years with the Bengals. So far Dalton is two and O against the Bengals as a starter for an opposing team. So we're hoping that that continues. If he is a starter on Sunday, that he can get another win. Do you think there's any added emotion or any added juice when you, you see other team? No. I don't because um, completely different, but a different set of circumstances. Um, you know, that's like every once in a while, I'll hear someone, some announcer on the TV say, well, this will be uh, a, a, and it's like the middle of the baseball season, right? Mm-hmm. They'll say, this is the, you know, the Cardinals are coming to town and this will be a good revenge for the Pirates because the Cardinals took four in a row from them two years ago. We go, what the hell difference does that make? It makes no difference whatsoever. It's a completely new story and new storyline. And, and and again, I think that's just people who like to talk and searching for things to say. Uh, and, and, and basically, in my opinion, that comes up really empty and useless information. Okay. So if you don't like when broadcasters bring up those storylines, I'm assuming you're not going to bring it up on Sunday. What storylines are you really looking at? Well, you know, I, I think that I think that the, the the only thing that we really do owe our audience um, is the present day. I mean, I, the thing that baffles me about this game is here are two teams that you would have never dreamed would be would oh, would we each be two and three at, at, at the beginning of the season. You just you just didn't picture that for the Bengals, and you didn't picture that for the New Orleans Saints. That said, you have to establish some reasons why. And I, and I think it's 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 our duty to point out this is what they've done well, this is what they haven't done well. This is why there are three losses on each side because because they haven't been able to do this. Now you, you kind of state that at the beginning of the game, and then the rest of the day you see whether that follows through or not. Mm-hmm. They're doing the same old thing, which is why they're losing, or they've changed this, which is why they're winning. Um, so I, there there are plenty of storylines. In every football game, I was talking to someone 
the other day uh, who said, well, there aren't very many upsets in the game of football. I went, are you kidding me? There are upsets every single Sunday. And what is an upset? It's simply a team that wasn't expected to win going out there and winning. And you can there are teams that defy the odds every single Sunday. So, so those things happen. Uh, point, who, I don't know who thought the Giants would go uh, up against the Packers in London and beat them, but they did. Um, I did a game a couple of weeks ago. Jacksonville went into uh, Los Angeles and handed the Chargers their lunch, and it was unbelievable. Um, so, so all of those things are there and available to be told, and it is up to us to try to fit that in along with the regular goings-on during the football game. Looking at the Bengals, they've lost those three games. They've lost each one of those games on the final play of the game. How do you even process that and begin to move past that? I think if you're the coach, I think if you're Zach Taylor, you tell them those are the breaks and you know we could have we we could have done something differently at the end or we could have done something differently earlier to avoid that close finish at the end. Uh, for coaches, I think it's always uh, a teaching tool that you can always learn something from a loss. You can always learn something from a win too. But but I don't think you can go through a season saying, well, we really should be four and one, but now we're two and three. Because uh, as Bill Parcells once famously said, you are what your record says you are. And woulda, coulda, shoulda really doesn't, you know, you don't come down to the end of the season and start determining, well, this team is going to be in the postseason and this team is, and these guys would have been if, you know, that doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is they're not going to. You lost those games, you put them in the rear view mirror with a couple of lessons learned and you move on. I think that the same could be said for the Saints. I don't think that people thought they'd be sitting here at two and three. They've had injuries that they've had to deal with. In their last game against the Seahawks, they did seem like they were able to find some of their offensive rhythm. Got a lot of use out of Taysom Hill. Alvin Kamara had a great game. What did you like about that game that you think might be something that could work for them going forward? First of all, I don't think, and I, I, I scanned the teams, and I haven't been able to come up with anyone who is quite like Taysom Hill. I think he's fascinating. I don't know. I don't know one of two things. Either there's nobody else like him in the National Football League, or there is, but they're not allowed to do the things that Taysom Hill does. You know, you don't want to put a guy out there and risk an injury doing something that he's not used to doing, because now you lose his services and his specialty. Um, but but I, I just think he's a phenomenal football player, and, and, I'm, and I'm looking forward to seeing him perform in person and basically to see how they're going to use him because it seems to me it's not the same every week. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some weeks he's throwing the ball more. There are some weeks he's catching it. There's some weeks he's running it. Um, I suppose their, their penultimate game plan is to be able to do all three equally well. And you go, well, you know, you're going to have to put a few more footballs on the field for Taysom Hill to be able to do everything well. But I, uh, but, but, but I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. I, th- I thought that the, there was an awakening uh, for the Saints last week against the Seahawks. And, you know, people are still trying to find out, are the Seahawks as bad as they look or are they just playing badly? Uh, either way, um, I think the I think the Saints might have taken them a little bit by surprise and, uh, and, 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 and came out with a win in a game that not everybody was really convinced was going to happen. If the Saints are able to add in some of their receivers, because the only one that they really had that they've been using all year was Chris Olave, the rookie. 
he goes out of the game with a concussion. So you're kind of down to the the last receivers on your depth chart in that game. If they're able to add back someone like Michael Thomas or Jarvis Landry, how different can this offense look? I think, you know, depending, you, you can always do, uh, always, let's say the odds are that you will have better results with your best players out there. How's that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and, and if you don't, then coaches and team have to make do with what they have. Sometimes those guys step up. Um, a good example is the kid Zappy, who's the quarterback for the New England Patriots. Mm-hmm. You know, I, Bill Belichick still maintains that stern face, but when he's alone in his room, he must be dancing because, you know, who would have thought you could lose your first two quarterbacks? And then this kid comes in and I did the, I did the Patriots the first game of the season when they played Miami and nobody knew how to pronounce his name. Is it Zap? Is it Zappy? Uh, and, but he wasn't dressed for the game because there are other quarterbacks who were better. He comes in, he gets a chance to play. But years and years ago, I did the game where Drew Bledsoe was knocked out of the game by the New York Jets, and on came Tom Brady for the first ever time in the National Football League. And you know, he kind of did okay and made his way through all of the all of the stumbling blocks and the hurdles. So you never really know until players get a chance. Sometimes. When you're down to those second and third guys on the depth chart, it's a blessing in disguise because a coach is naturally going to go with the guys that he feels are the better ones, yet sometimes it gives them a chance to discover some things that, that he didn't know before and never really discern during practice. They always say that you have to stay ready and work like you're going to start in the game and you're going to play in the game when your opportunity comes along. The Saints are two and three, but it's early in the season. And there are other teams that have gone on to find success after starting two and three. The Chiefs, the 49ers last year, both started two and three and ended up in their conference championship games. Do you still think that the Saints can achieve everything that they thought that they could at the beginning of the season? Well, yeah, um, you know, you're right. It's early. It's two and three. However, and, and there are teams who have been able to rebound from that. But is that really a tightrope that you want to walk? <laughs> Simply because it happened a couple of times doesn't mean it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact is that when you get a slow start out of the gates, see the thing about the league this year, and, and we kind of hear the term parity thrown around a lot. Mm-hmm. And this year, I think it's more meaningful than ever because there are teams, more teams that can rise up and knock off a good team than, than I can remember in a very long time because there are always the big boppers at the top of the standings, at, at the head of the divisions, and then taking it out on, on the lower guys. Well, the lower guys have begun to flex some muscle. The Giants are one example. The Jets are an example. Uh, I, the Jacksonville team that I told you about, I thought they I thought they stumbled last week unexpectedly, but but they're, they have some good football players. And for change, they've got a decent coach. You know, because that was that was a crutch you know, that, that mm-hmm. they just didn't have last year. So so sure, you can start slowly and build and, and gain some momentum. Um, but the further along you go, then you can't still say that it's early. And then all of a sudden it's not so early. And the pressure is on you. Well, okay, maybe if you know earlier in the year, if you win three of your next four, you're in great shape. Then later on, you've got to win three of your next four, or you're gonna be on the outside looking in. Whoever wins this game will be 500. Hmm. Who do you think needs it more? 
I think the Bengals need it more. And the only reason I say that is because of the division that they're in. Mm. Um, they're looking at Baltimore and they are looking at Cleveland. I don't think the Steelers are as bad as they have looked, although I don't see the Steelers at the finish line uh, by the end of the year. But the competition within within their division is going to be tough. Now, for the Saints, you know, Tampa Bay is no slouch. Uh, Atlanta is better, I think, than everyone had, had thought they would be. And Carolina is is a struggling football team right now and with, with an interim coach coming in. But I do think that the Bengals, just based on the division that they're in and how they're going to play all of these guys within their division, again, if they haven't already, is uh, is a big deal for them. Yeah, that's a good point. The Saints have always relied on their defense going up against the Bengals. Cam Jordan has an opportunity to continue to add to his sack total, especially the way that the Bengals have been protecting or not protecting Joe Burrow very well. 18 sacks allowed this season. Jordan needs three sacks to move up to 23rd all time. How likely does he get all three this Sunday? I don't think that's very likely. I, I mean, considering <laughs> if, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think Cam has three so far this year. Mm-hmm. So, Aaron, you're going to give him double that in one afternoon? That's a heck of a day. <laughs> he looked great last week, though. Look, oh, sure he finally sure. found himself a season. Well, well, the Cincinnati team is one that if if you saw the postseason last year, you knew that the offensive line is the one part of that team that needed fortifying. Mm-hmm. And they went out and they tried to address that. And I and I think that it's I think that it's been better because Burrow has what five sacks maybe this year, all told. Um Jordan is gonna not Jordan is going to be in his face all day. And you know, the fact that the fact that he is a very good football player at a very tough position um means that they're gonna pay attention to him. So, you know, then that's the problem when you have good numbers and you go in the next Sunday, you don't sneak up on anybody mm-hmm. because you know, they come to the line and they go, There he is, <laughs> you know, let's keep an eye on him and then we'll worry about everybody else, worry about everybody else. But you three guys keep him off my back. Um, I don't see him getting three. Uh, if he got one, one and a half, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Well, he'll get it. I think by the end of the season, maybe it's oh, sure. not all this oh. weekend. No, not all this weekend. <laughs> somebody that has, I don't know, become somebody that, you know, every week you, you can't help, but notice is Pete Werner, our linebacker. He's mm. leading the league with 36 tackles. Is, is he somebody that you think opposing teams are starting to really look at? I think, look, there, there are very few secrets. And I say this after we talked about the guys low on the depth chart and so mm-hmm. on. But that's because there really isn't a lot of tape on them. Teams watch tape all week long in preparation for uh, game time on Sunday. Running backs are looking at the defensive line and they're looking at the linebackers. The wide receivers are looking at the cornerbacks. Um, everybody is looking at something because that's what they're up against. And so I don't think that that he's going to come as a surprise to anyone. Anyone who reaches the second level of that defense, coaches are going to say, okay, this guy is going to be right there. You've got to, you got to make plans for him. Mm-hmm. So, so, so no, it's nice to think that there are, there are surprises along the way, but there aren't very many, you know, I mentioned, I mentioned Zappi uh, with new England. Well, nobody, nobody saw him play except a little bit in the preseason. And 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 you do you really take the preseason to heart? You really don't because you've got second and third and fourth stringers here, and oh, they're looking good. Who are they playing? They're playing second, third, and fourth stringers on the other side. 
So, so there, there's an evening out aspect there. Um, but, but the, but when you get to, when you get to the national football league, that's all these guys do. All these guys do is look at tape. There are quarterbacks and wide receivers who have clip reels made for them and they take them home and they watch them there and they know this guy's move and that guy's move. They know the spin move of this defensive lineman. They know this guy will fake a rush and then drop back into coverage. All of those things factor in. Um, and when you get to the professional level, there shouldn't be very many surprises. The only surprises that I hit coaches with every once in a while is when you come across an undrafted player who's doing really well. Uh, a really good example of that is Robinson, the running back in Jacksonville. Undrafted. Any team in the league would love to have him on their roster. How did he get by not just every team in the league, but seven rounds worth of every team in the mm -hmm. league? And all of a sudden, he blooms and everybody goes, where was our scouting department? And the scouting department says, well, where was their scouting department? And the other scouting department, you know, nobody noticed until he was passed up and then somebody took a chance on him and that somebody is Jacksonville. He's their starting running back and he's, he's a terrific running back. And those are the kinds of surprises that get me. You go, you're paying people really good money to scout everybody in the country. How does this guy get by? But it happens. How much film do you watch? What is your preparation like for a game day? I don't, I don't watch film basically. And I'll be really honest with this. <laughs> Adam Archuleta, my partner, will chime in with me on this at any time. I don't know what I'm looking at. And I don't know what I and I don't know what I'm looking for. You know, even during the game, Adam will say, well, this and I have to keep from saying out loud into the microphone, oh yeah. You know, because, <laughs> because he's a former player and he right. knows what he's looking for and he knows what's supposed to happen. Me, I go, wow, look at that run. I go, well yeah, Greg, but you had this blocker here and this guy there. You know, I, I, I know some basics. I know, well, that guy was 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 double teamed on the far side, which left this guy one-on-one, -on -one, which was a gimme for the quarterback. Yeah, that's fine. That's really basic one-on-one -on -one football. But the intricacies, no. Once I was doing a football game with, uh, with Phil Simms, and we were in Indianapolis, and Edron James was the running back, and Peyton Manning was the quarterback, and it was second and goal from the two. And just before the snap, Phil said, Shovel pass. And Peyton dropped back two steps and shoveled the ball to Edron James and scored a touchdown. And I went, wow, fortune teller. And Phil says, Greg, we watched him do it five times at practice the other day. I went, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you did. I didn't. So, so, so I'm not, I'm not well equipped to be able to do that because I would come away with not a whole lot. What my weeks are spent doing is uh, background information and making up our boards. And our boards are simply the charts that, that show us, show me what, what the offensive line is and their backups, the number, the name, height, weight, number of years in the league, school, statistics, all of those things. On offense, defense on the other side, same thing for the opposition, offense and defense. I do those on Monday and Tuesday. And I get information every day from our research team, from my statistician, from the NFL. The teams send you their league, their, their league information. Mm -hmm. So I do that on Monday and Tuesday. And on Tuesday evening, last night, in the middle of the Yankees game, I tear them up and throw them away. And I redo them on Thursday, on Wednesday and Thursday. What? And Why? Because it helps a lot on the memorization. Okay. 
It helps a lot on the knowledge. You know, everybody assumes that it's kind of easy to identify, but number 44 this week is different from number 44 last week. And it's really easy. Look, Aaron, it's the same thing when we travel on the road. When you, I have, and I'm not the only one, you get to the hotel and you walk into the elevator and you look at the panel and you go, 12.55, no, that was last week in Las Vegas. <laughs> Room 1302, no, that was the week before in Los Angeles. It's just, boom. And it's really embarrassing to walk up to the front desk and go, hi, what room am I in? <laughs> they look it up for you. Um, so, the, so the repetition is good for me, being, being able to do that. No, that makes sense. I always say that I kind of cram for whatever is ahead of me. And then once it's over, I try to push it out of my brain and then get ready to fill it back up with whatever the next game is. Cramming is not good either. I mean, you're probably aware of that. that look, look, I'm I'm famous at my alma mater because I stayed up all night studying for a test and then fell asleep during the exam. <laughs> during the exam with my head on the desk covering the test, which had my name at the top of it. And that was it. It was very embarrassing. All right. I'll try to work a little bit further ahead. So I'm not Grammy. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, you're from New Orleans. At least you were born here, right? Yes. yes. How long were you here before I think you grew actually grew up in Chicago? Yeah, not very long. I um, I went to kindergarten and first grade at Corpus Christi Grammar School, and then um, my, my dad moved us to uh, Washington D.C., where he went to Georgetown Law School, and uh, I attended third and fourth grade there, or second and third grade there. Then we moved to Chicago, where he began to practice law, and I went through uh, the rest of grammar school and high school in Chicago, went away to, to college in Iowa, and then came back to Chicago. So it's always been really cool to say, yeah, I'm from New Orleans, you know, people go, ooh, wow. But the fact of the matter is I left really early. Now, that didn't mean that I didn't come back. When you are younger, that is college, late college, early 20s, uh, you come back for Mardi Gras. Mm -hmm. And as you get older from that, you come back for Jazz Fest. And I've done that a lot because I'm a huge music fan. I mean, you know, there's like it's one of the tremendous musical events of all time. But um, but but no, I I I I'm familiar enough to know the food. I had a cameraman several years ago, I was doing a game in New Orleans. And we were in the dome and in the booth, and this guy said, we were talking about our dinner a couple of nights before. And this guy says, I can't find any place good to eat here. And I wanted to grab an anvil and hit him over there. I said, are you nuts? I said, dude, you can swing a dead cat by the tail and hit a good place to eat in New Orleans. What's the matter with you? But he was uh, he was just a little, he was a little slow on the get going. Oh, wow. So you're coming in town this weekend. Where are your spots that you're going to hit? Um, you know, it's hard to believe that no matter where we go, um, there are people who think, well, we hit town and we just go, Wah! and just go crazy. That doesn't happen. Um, we get to town and we we go to the home team facility to <laughs> watch practice. <laughs> and, and then we do interviews with, with coaches and players of choice and come back. And then we have dinner as a crew, as a crew on Friday evening. On Saturday, we... Uh, interview the visiting team that comes to town. We go to their hotel and talk to selected players and coaches there. And then come back to our hotel, we have our production meeting. 
and go over just a master plan for what we're going to try to do on Sunday and what to expect and what to look for to throw ideas around to figure out who's going to say what in the in the opening. And then we do the game and then we beat feet to the airport afterwards and God help anybody who's in our way between the stadium and the runway <laughs> when the game is over. Well, at least it's a pretty easy airport to get get through and get to pretty small. Yes and no, because I seem to recall that the crowd leaving the dome is one of the slower moving crowds. Mm. So it's not it's not necessarily a, a, hey, I'm outside, I'm in the car, I'm at the airport. Yeah, that doesn't happen. So, so we are kind of cautious about scheduling tight flights sure. because um, especially in, in, in some cities, it may be the only flight. And if you miss that one, it's like, well, hello, Airport Marriott, or hello, Airport Hilton, and then you're there for another night while they have the luggage that you checked and you can't get that back. So, um, and, then, and then you take the first flight the next morning. Travel is always an interesting experience, but uh, that, that kind of adds to the fun of it all. And well, hopefully it's smooth in and out for you this weekend. Before I let you go, yeah. really quick on just the atmosphere of the Superdome. How much do you enjoy being there, calling games there? doesn't matter why I'm there. I've done football games there, and I've done NCAA basketball there. Um, when I first began at CBS, um, I was doing play-by-play -play mm -hmm. in college basketball. And my partner was Quinn Buckner, great college and NBA guard. And um, we, did, we did a Thursday and a Saturday of basketball games, that first Thursday of the NCAA tournament where you have four games in one day, and then Saturday, you have the winners in two games. And the place is just electric. It's absolutely electric. And and, and it's, it, it, it helps. It always helps the attitude and the energy for a broadcast. You know, and you, it's really easy to get up when you hear all, all of this noise and, and, and the various factions cheering for someone. And it's just fun to be a part of. And by the way, just one thing to remember from one of those trips doing NCAA basketball, we had done a full evening of games and Quinn and I were getting our stuff together. And one of the security guards comes over and he says, uh, Mr. Gumbel, there's a young lady over here who would like to say hi to you. And I look and it's like, there's a beauty queen standing there. And I went, sure, I'll be right there. And I walk over and then I came back and Quinn says, well, I went, it's a cousin. <laughs> I have tons and tons and tons of relatives in New Orleans. It won't be a secret that I'm going to be in town. <laughs> well, we're very happy to have you here. It's always nice to have former New Orleanians in town. You guys are a little nicer on us, I think. Well, yeah, that's probably because we don't see you as often. So, how's <laughs> <laughs> no, we try. You know what? We pride ourselves. Uh, I, I, I don't think it behooves anyone to take sides. And I've tried not to take sides. Throughout my career, I've turned down opportunities to do play-by-play -play for individual teams in baseball and in football. And, and, and that's because I cannot be a homer in what I do. I maintain equality on both sides. I try to be fair. You know, if it's, quote, unquote, our guy, uh, it wasn't a bad throw. He dropped it. Or no, it was a bad throw. Whatever it is. But the, you know what I'm saying. It, and, and, and it's not. And sometimes it's not easy to take that stance. I find it difficult to take that stance with guys that I've gotten to know and, and, and whose company I like. I like I like a lot of the players that I meet while we're, we're going from town to town and doing different games. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you can't say, 
You know, that was a bad pass. You can ask any of the 50,000 people in this stadium, that was a bad pass. And they're, and by the way, the coaches are going to point that out when they look at the game film tomorrow. Um, but so, so I, you know, I, I enjoy being neutral and, and, and we of course get comments on it after the game. And if I get equally critical conversation sure. from both sides, then I kind of know that I'm doing it right. Well, I can be a homer and I'm supposed to be. So I'm looking forward sure. to you calling a Saints win on Sunday. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for spending the time talking to me. Um, hopefully I'll see you here at some point, either at the facility or at the, the Dome. Me too. Thank you for having me. Thanks to Greg for taking the time. It will be fun to have him back in New Orleans and on the call for this one. There are a lot of fan contests on NewOrleansSaints.com right now, so head there and check them out. You can celebrate Tony Satchery's golden anniversary with your shot to win Saints-Bengals game tickets, VIP tailgate access, plus two Saints jerseys. Head to NewOrleansSaints.com and click on Fan Zone to enter that and so many more contests. Go ahead and get your black and gold ready for Friday. We'll be back then with another podcast on NewOrleansSaints.com iTunes, and Spotify. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the day. Thanks for listening to the New Orleans Saints podcast, presented by SeatGeek. Join us three times per week on NewOrleansSaints.com, the Saints mobile app, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. We'll see you next time, right here on the New Orleans Saints podcast, presented by SeatGeek.